0: Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different type of episode. I'm going to have a uh, short intro before we go to the break because the main, the second segment is going to be quite long. I have a lot to discuss, and we're going to be talking about emergency equipment and what you need to do to take care of properly of emergency equipment. EMS fire trucks and what have you But what I do want to tell you That we get together here Every Saturday in the farm shop At 11 a.m. Eastern And then again on Sunday at 6 p.m. On Sirius XM Channel 147, Rural Radio. And then if you miss an episode, there's no worries. You could go to my website and Google Podcasts and a number of other podcast hosting sites. And one week after the episode drop, airs, it will be listed as a podcast so you could reference it. But what we need to do is I need, before we get into this, I need to uh, to give away two hot rod farmer license plates. And the first one goes to Mr. Andy Lindsey out in Freeport, Pennsylvania, who is a long-time listener of the podcast, Idle Chatter Podcast. And the other license plate goes to Mr. Rock Kachnig, and he's just in Western Illinois. He didn't give me his town, so he's out there. So the, so Mr. Lindsay and Mr. Kachnig, I need you to reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at digest.com and let me know where to send that USA-made Hot Rod Farmer license plate. And if you want to get into that drawing, all you need to do is go to my website, fill out the form, and send it in, and let me know where you are located. And I will give you a pin in the map for where you're located, announce you on the radio show and the podcast, and you will get into that drawing to win a USA-made Hot Rod Farmer license plate which i think is quite cool but listen we're going to go quickly to the break now because there's a lot that i need to cover in the second segment so never forget agriculture runs on machinery but profits on reliability
1: Sirius XM. The best collection of podcasts is just a tap away. Hear podcasts from Marvel, including the award-winning Wolverine, The Long Night, and exclusive podcasts Marvel Method and Marvel's Declassified. Plus original podcasts from your favorite Sirius XM hosts, including Stormy Warren, Fantasy Sports' Lisa Ann, and Jeff Lewis. Listen to the podcast favorites you've been hearing about. Without ever having to leave the Sirius XM app. Free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts hold it, and hit more birds. I'm Scott Linden out and about in the uplands. In the days of silk fly lines, English anglers would utter, God save the queen, before they set the hook. This gave the trout time to take the fly in his mouth and turn, setting the hook himself. Now it's good advice for bird hunters too, for a slightly different reason. Most shots on birds connected about 25 yards, maybe 30. If you patterned your shotgun, you know an improved cylinder choke at 30 yards only makes a pattern about 3 feet in diameter. At 20 yards, it's tiny. With that condensed shot cloud, there's little chance of actually hitting anything. So when wings whirr or pheasants cackle, wait a minute. Then shoot. We're made possible by findbirdhuntingspots.com. See you there. Hey folks, join us for the Better Horses radio show on Wednesday and Thursday evenings at 11 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147 with host Ernie Rodina, Don Dawson, and me, Ron McDaniel. Along with our KSU vet tip, we'll have Jason Cook with JC Horsemanship, followed by a conversation with our friend Riley Olson with Agape Ranch Ministries. So tune in to the Better Horses radio show on Wednesday or Thursday evenings, right here on Rural Radio Channel 147.
0: Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax. And I want to share some interesting facts with you. And Sirius Satellite XM Radio goes all over North America. And then I guess with their app, it travels different places. And then with me listing the show as a podcast, it actually goes around the world. But this, but, you know, the people, the folks, the rural folks of North America, both Canada and the United States are my people. Those that's, I live in rural America, I love rural America, I love rural folks, and even though in the United States, 97% of the landmass and this is the facts I was able to, to find, and I'm sure it's, it's more than fairly accurate because I came up with different numbers than I averaged them out, but 97% of the land mass of the United States still today is considered rural, and I think that's wonderful. But when it but when it comes to uh, the amount of population in the United States that live in a rural area, only fourteen percent of the population lives in a rural area. But when you look at our military, which is a volunteer military, more than forty four percent of the recruits in the armed services are from rural America. So though we only have 14% of the population of the country, more than 44% of the recruits that are protecting our beloved nation come from rural America, from the farms and small towns of America. Now, but only 14% of the recruits in the military come from urban areas and big cities. So we have 97% of the, of the country is rural. We only have 14% of the population lives in a rural area, but more than 44% of the military is based in, or has roots in rural America. Now, if we go a little bit further down the line and look at volunteer fire departments, in rural America, 67% of the fire departments are volunteer. And 53% of the EMS, the rural EMS emergency services, ambulances in the rural areas are volunteer. And only 14% of the uh, ambulance squads in urban areas are volunteer. So if you look at this, Rural America is a very small population base <clears throat> of our country. And I'm sure the same thing holds true in Canada. Numbers are probably even stronger. But we have a heart of servitude. We have a heart of serving our nation, serving in the military, serving our neighbors with, with the fire department and with the EMS. And the, those people have that, the heart of giving they're giving of themselves, they're taking their time, they're taking time away from their family, from their businesses, from their farms to serve, They take and they're putting themselves in risk to serve. And that is a wonderful, wonderful statement about rural America. And often it gets overlooked, specifically in the political climates, right? But what I want to talk about today on Farm Machinery Digest Radio is I obviously cannot come to your fire department and help put out a fire or be on an ambulance call to help save someone's life. But what I can do is talk to those people who are in charge of that machinery and caring for that machinery, those volunteers, and give them some tips to make not only those fire fire trucks, and those ambulances and any other rescue apparatus more reliable, have less downtime, and lower the operating cost because all of these volunteer agencies are working off a little bit of taxpayer money and collecting money on the side of the road or from fundraisers. And and so it's not even enough that they're giving their time and, and risking their lives for these causes, but they also spend their time, time trying to fundraise. And it's, I felt very compelled to come and talk to this audience and say, hey, this is what you could do to make your machinery last longer and make your machinery more reliable because, because there's not that much difference with farm equipment and emergency equipment, no matter what it is. It's got to roll when it has to roll. Granted, if you got into the field a day late to plant, it may cause you you may have a financial hit, but nobody's houses or barn is burning down or nobody's nobody's life is being threatened. But when it comes to emergency equipment, police cars, fired fire, fire trucks, ambulances, they have to roll and they have to be reliable. So that's what this is going to be about today. It's a little bit different. But all of the things that I'm going to t- be talking about, even though I'm going to be gearing them towards emergency equipment, is that you could, you could apply to your equipment on the farm, even if it's not emergency equipment or your, your pickup truck or your wife's vehicle. But the first thing that you need to keep in mind that with, I'm just going to call it EMS equipment instead of saying fire trucks and emergency, with EMS type of equipment is that they, they live a very grueling life. But because number one, they are usually used on short trips, which is a dumb, which is the worst thing for an engine whatsoever. They idle a lot, and then they run hard, and as they used to say with a horse, put away wet. So there's a lot of issues that come up, and I'm going to break it down to gasoline and diesel engines, and there's going to be some overlap. And if you've listened to my shows. Then you know that I I preach almost to ad nauseum a couple of different things about additizing fuel, carbon deposits, and eliminating heat soak. But those are areas that I'm really going to emphasize today because I want to drill them home, drill that home to the people who are on those emergent, those volunteers that are responsible for taking care of that machinery. So, now the first thing that I want to say is that most, and I'll talk about gasoline engines. So, if you have a, a gasoline powered ambulance and you have a, uh, some sort of rescue vehicle, EMS, the thing is that the vehicles today are mainly the past 10 or 15 years of what's called drive by wire, there's no throttle cable. And the bad part about drive-by-wire is that it uses So the gas pedal, the throttle pedal, is actually hooked up to a potentiometer. There's two potentiometers there. And so one goes zero to five volts, and it's at the gas pedal, and the other one goes five volts to zero. And what the ECM does, the computer controls, doesn't control, it compares both voltages, and that's a safety feature that they have. And most of them, almost all of them, that, I mean that i'm aware of a zero to five and five to zero so the now what will happen is that if one of those sensors defaults then the vehicle will have no power it'll only go maybe 20 miles per hour so it's very now the system is very very reliable but what i need for you to do or what i, I suggested you to do is get familiar with your with your ems vehicles and see if they are drive by wire because if you have a lot of let's say you went to a to to god forbid a grain bin rescue right and you're there and you got mud on your shoes or or or, most fire scenes right they're spraying water so there's going to be mud and people got you somebody got into the into into my sister's a paramedic so they used to call that a bus i don't know whether they do or that got into that you had muddy shoes what have you or the it's very common for that sensor to get polluted in a rural environment, up underneath the dashboard. The guy's got big work boots on, he came out of the barn to emergency situations, got manure, got mud, and he gets in that ambulance. And and the thing is that if you lose one of those sensors, that vehicle's gonna go uh, default to about 20 miles per hour. And imagine the, the stress and the agony of you taking someone, going to a call, Or going to taking someone to the hospital and the sensor defaults. So, what I want, what I suggest for you to do is put eyeballs on those sensors and make sure that the wires are plugged in. But most importantly, I guess they're very reliable, but most importantly, make sure that it's clean around that area that it doesn't have mud or dirt or manure or what have you around that area because all you have to do is have that moisture and that mud get into that sensor and it's going to default the other thing basically is that keep in mind that you have that electric motor so that sensors that's drive-by wire is going to send a signal to the electric motor and the electric motor is going to open the throttle plates now In most instances on an emergency vehicle, there are times when it is seen wide open throttle, and that is very, very good because you need to exercise that electric motor. So if you have a vehicle that has drive-by-wire emergency vehicle, it's important for you to take it out when you're not on a call and whack it a couple of times, and this needs to be done I'm not gonna say on a weekly basis, but it, it needs to be done often so you could exercise that electric motor because what'll happen is if it if it's driven very gingerly that electric motor is going to fail prematurely and bind and then again it is not going to fully open the throttle so you're calling for full power or 50% power 60% power and it's not going to do it i wish they'd bring back the old throttle cable in all of my years i never put a throttle cable they sometimes i stretched i've never had one break but this system is very very ripe for a potential problem specifically on an emergency vehicle and that is no joke if this thing defaults to 20 miles per hour the other thing with staying on gasoline is that those engines you go to emergency scene it's sitting there and idling all right it's sitting and idling and when it's sitting and idling the underhood temperature is going to get very high simply because there's no what we call real estate under there's no place for the heat to go and you're going to heat so-called those components now i'm not saying that you are in a fire scene an ambulance scene and you go pop the hood I'm not saying that whatsoever that would be ridiculous for me to say that but when you get back to the to the fire station you get back to the ambulance squad building and don't let open the hood and let this cool off because that heat soak is going to degrade everything and and i've spoken about heat soak before but it's specifically specifically with a emergency vehicle because then again if you have a component fail and remember it's going to degrade the electronics the rubber hoses the gaskets everything that's underneath that hood and most ambulances are on a van type of chassis all right and which is terrible and there's no real estate there's no air movement under there so on all of whether it's gasoline whether it's diesel whatever it is when you get back from the call open the hood and let it cool off because you're going to greatly greatly increase the life of everything under the hood all right very 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 important and keep in mind that in most applications the batteries are there also at least the batteries for the engine and that heat soak is going to deteriorate the batteries now when it comes to fire trucks most of the time they they may be run hard going to the fire but lots of times they the majority of the time they loaf around and they idle it's important for you to get a test route or i would say a route it doesn't i'm calling it a test route but for you to take those those emergency vehicles and take them out and run them hard because if you're not gonna because they're gonna get all carboned up we have a, a town my town had a fire truck all right it only went like three or four miles five miles for all of these years the thing was so carboned up inside it was a diesel it was a Mac it was so carboned up it hardly ran. so you need to additize that fuel on that fire truck you need to have it completely advertise not just for winter any diesel fire truck ambulance you need and you need to take them out and have a route when it's when it's when it obviously don't go 50 miles away if it would be on a call but if you have to go up and down the interstate and whack it and run it hard, and whack it and run it hard believe me it's going to love it because it's going to clear the carbon out you're going to exercise everything and it's going to make up and because it has so many short trips and idling situations it's going to build carbon at an exponential rate and you need on the gasoline engine you also need to keep an injector fuel systems cleaner in there because you need those injectors are going to build a lot of deposits from the heat soak and from the idling very 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 important all right the other thing that i want you to keep in mind is that somebody in the in the emergency fire station ems should learn how to use a battery load tester batteries are going to degrade very quickly in an emergency application because of their constant draw and their constant cycling back and forth so they get a draw on them and their running time a lot of starts a lot of stops all right and the heat is going to get to them and with all of the electronics specifically on an ambulance even on a, on, a, on a fire vehicle is that you need to have good voltage and the battery is very important as far as controlling the alternator output and you also need to be very cognizant of the ground circuits. If it's like a, um, a most emergency vehicles will give you an as-built schematic and with the as-built schematic you need to identify all of the ground circuits and you're not going to make love to them every day but you need once a year once every 14 15 months specifically as the vehicle gets older that these can have moisture migrate into those ground circuits into those wiring and you're going to have a high impedance ground and it's going to impact all of it has the potential to impact all of the electronics on that vehicle if it's being powered off of that battery and off of that alternator. So it's another thing that you need to keep in mind. The other thing or something else that I want you to to look at is remember that engine coolant degrades over time. And because of low hours, and low mileage people think they check the antifreeze and say oh it's still good to minus 34 below we don't need to change it the additive package when an emergency vehicle is sitting is being consumed all right when it's being put on the load it's being consumed but don't lull yourself into the into the into the full state of security that because it doesn't have a lot of hours on it doesn't have a lot of miles on it and it's idling a lot that it doesn't degrade that that additive package so the color of the antifreeze and its freeze and its ability to not freeze has nothing to do with the additive package and the additive package is what is going to protect that engine so it is very 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 important but there's some simple things there that you need to do as far as the engine and driveline is concerned whether it's gasoline or diesel to make sure that not only that emergency vehicle runs properly at 100 percent when you need it but also to 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 save money and to make it the most efficient because and i want to thank all of you who volunteer to serve your communities and to serve our nation may god bless you and keep you
1: How can you maximize yield and profits on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On the Ag PhD Radio Show, we talk about all the ways you can get the most return on investment for the crops on your farm. Our guests are farmers and experts in the industry, and we discuss the latest innovations in fertility, crop production, seed traits, and much more. We also answer your questions live via phone, email, or Twitter. Don't miss the next Ag PhD Radio Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, on Rural Radio Sirius XM, channel 147. Hi everybody, this is Marty Stewart. Join me as I travel coast to coast, city to city, exploring America with sounds and stories on Marty Stewart's America Odyssey. Then stick around for the Marty Stewart Show, bringing the brightest stars and the best music straight into your home with the help of my fabulous superlatives. It all starts Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, right here on Rural Radio. This is Sean Haney. If you're serious about ag, it's time to get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. We'll talk markets, agronomy, machinery, and cover the real-time issues affecting farmers and ranchers in Canada and all of North America. It's your go-to source for the latest ag news, impacting producers on both sides of the 49th parallel. Get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio at 4.30 Eastern, and don't miss the replay at 7 in the morning on Rural Radio 147 and the SiriusXM app. We believe talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. There are many causes, but it mostly comes down to race, what their parents earn, and where they live. It's made worse by unequal access to technology, healthy foods, and mentors. It's time we provide opportunities for all our kids. Nothing should hold a kid back, and if we all pull together, nothing will. Visit 4-H.org today and join us.
0: Welcome back to Fall Machinery Digest Radio. So now we're going to get ready for the under the sheet metal segment. But before we do that, we got to invite in my buddy, Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records. He's the Hot Rod Man. Well, I'm a rolling daddy with a mean machine. It's got to be a hand motor. Next is clean. I'm a Hot Rod Man. Yeah, I'm a Hot Rod Man. Hug oh, out, little mama. Going to get you. Yeah, ready, Tex? Thank you so much. In the Under the Sheet Metal segment, we're going to be talking about pulley alignment. There are many pulleys found on the farm, but often little thought is given to them. There are three areas of concern when discussing a pulley. These are belt type and depth into the contact area, alignment, and the ratio of the pulley. Proper alignment of the pulleys is essential to employ the complete contact area. If the alignment is skewed, the belt will ride to one side, wear excessively, limit the transfer of torque, and may not even stay on. Often alignment is achieved via a spacer or washer that could easily be lost when worked on, especially when visibility is limited. When you're working on a lot of these pulleys, you're working blind, you can't see what's going on. To check pulley alignment, first eyeball it but that is not always conclusive since the error may be minute. Then use a straight edge edge or wood or metal dowel or rod. Lay it on top of the belt between the drive and driven pulley the alignment should be perfectly straight. Another side, a sign is if the belt seems to have side-to-side movement when in use and the proper tension when it is off. So if you have the belt tension properly and it, and you're watching it and there's a lot of side-to-side movement in the pulley, that's usually indicative of an alignment problem. And an alignment problem, if, it's, if it was not taken apart and you lost a spacer or a washer, then usually it is a bearing issue and it you and it most likely it's in one of the idler pulleys or it could be in a belt tension so a lot of times they'll have a a belt tension like on a serpentine belt and the bearing will start to go bad, and then it'll cause an alignment issue. Very, very, very common. The other thing is that keep in mind that there is a ratio between the pulleys. So the drive and the driven pulley, if you didn't change anything, then that is not going to be an issue. All right. The worst you could have is a bearing or lost a spacer. But lots of times, people will go and on an older piece of equipment, and they'll, they'll go to the junkyard and buy a pulley. And they'll they'll say, okay, this pulley's bad. I got a lost a pulley, whatever, and they put it on there. So you need to take the um, the factory pulleys and measure them. You need to actually get the the measurement the best that you can where the belt rides on both pulleys, and divide them together, and you will get a ratio. Because oftentimes, specifically an older piece of equipment, people have gone and they put a change the pulley, and the pulley ratio is wrong. So if the pulley ratio is wrong whatever is being driven is going to either be overdriven over speed or under speed so that is very 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 important so you could be chasing a problem let's say like with an alternator or what have you and wondering why under load the output is not high enough and that is because the ratio is wrong so it's something for you to keep in mind but as we get ready to close here please please anybody who's involved with any ems please look at those things on the equipment and I just want to thank you so much for your service to your community and our nation. And may our Lord bless and keep all of you. Listen, I thank you so much for tuning in. And hopefully you'll catch me next week. And the Hot Rod Farmers poem for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. Thank you so, so much for listening. I am honored by you tuning in. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.
1: As we bring you more than 30 hours of agriculture and rural news every week, our team of news writers, editors, and producers work hard to find the headlines and stories that matter the most to you. Live reports and high-profile guests like market analysts and traders, farm state lawmakers, and commodity group leaders. All giving you the inside track to make the best business decisions for your farm or business. The best staff, the best producers. The news Rural America turns to RFD-TV. Rural America's most important network this week on rule radio channel 147 everything to know about the western life in the ag industry is found on rule radio this week we spotlight some of the best cowgirls across america don't miss live coverage of the wcra women's rodeo world championship monday through saturday at 8 p.m eastern on sirius xm rule radio Tune in this week to Rule Radio, Channel 147, and listen anytime on the SXM app. It's the Ranch It Up Radio Show. Join me, Jeff Tigger Earhart. Tigger. The boss lady back in my crew as we hear why being able to trace animal disease is of the utmost importance. We hear why FFA is cool in one town, have horse sale averages, sale reports, and lots more. This Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here, Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM. On the Ag PhD Radio Show, we talk about all the ways you can get the most return on investment for the crops on your farm. Our guests are farmers and experts in the industry, and we discuss the latest innovations in fertility, crop production, seed traits, and much more. Don't miss the next Ag PhD Radio Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147. This is Ann Tarter from Tartar Farm and Ranch Equipment, and I listen to Rural Radio, Channel 147, on Sirius XM.